Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We will continue our study through this book. We will be looking at the chapter of Acts 6 in its entirety today as it's going to prepare us for uh, chapter 7, which is one of the greatest chapters in in the entire book, not just Acts, but the whole Bible. Um, and so we will be looking at this, how this kind of led up to Stephen's speech and some of the things that, that led up to that, but it does instruct us even from that. And so before we go to the text today, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for help with it. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, Lord, we pray that you would help us with it because without your help, without your love and care, your guidance, we are uh, like blind people walking around with no help, no hope, and needing someone to just guide us through the darkness. It's a darkness that we create. And so, Lord, help us be the light that shines into our souls, that convicts us of our sin, that leads us to the truth, that guides us to act as we ought to act, that we might more and more bring glory to your great name. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So as we come to this chapter in Acts 6, it reminds me of myself being very young in the ministry. I started full-time ministry in 2002, right out of graduating from here. I spent six illustrious years at Murray State. Four were not quite enough for me, so I needed a couple more to be seasoned. And uh, graduated in May, got married in May, started my job then too, and so everything was kind of just happening. And I learned very quickly, uh, my first day in a Presbyterian church was actually my first day on the job. But I learned very quickly that I fell in love with the way that the government was structured and the belief system and everything and wanted more than anything to be ordained in the ministry of the Presbyterian Church. Um, I hadn't been to seminary yet, which I found out was an important part of, of that. Uh, I, I didn't have any real life or wisdom under my belt. I was like 23 years old, newly married, no kids, head full of ideas of how I could make the church a better place. So naturally... The only person who didn't think that I needed more training and seasoning was me. I would go to presbytery meetings and I would see myself as like a squire among the knights. You know what a squire is. They kind of polish armor and they're like little the errand boy for the, the knight who actually gets to do the, the cool stuff. That was like 15 years ago. And I've learned a lot since then, mainly how, how dumb I was. Um... In our text today, we'll see a concern like this, similar, rise up in the early church where there was a division of labor that need, that was needed. The apostles had been doing so much work in the early church when it came to the teaching and the preaching of the word. But they were also servants, and this came very natural to them, very natural to them. They had been in that role with Jesus They did not mind doing that. They saw Jesus also serving in that role as master and servant. However, they had become spread so thin that the ball was getting dropped in some very important areas. We've read almost every single week this sentence, the church was growing. 
And then you have these 12 guys who are just not not enough to do it all. And so with that, in this text, we're going to see them form this new office. And we see many, or seven, be ordained as the first deacons. Is it because these men were lesser men than the apostles? That they were chosen to be servants rather than the, the, the teachers and the preachers? Or did it have to do with their gifting? That there's gifts that they had that were better suited to that type of ministry. As we look into this passage, we're going to have that discussion. We'll also deal with the issue that I had as a younger man. That uh, that still have many times even. Not wanting to serve, but wanting to lead. And seeing those two things as opposite and different from each other. We'll also see an example of one of the first deacons active in his ministry and the cost that he incurs in order to do that well. And so with that, we're going to consider three points from the text, the need for different roles, the struggle then with those roles, and an example of faithful service. And so with that, let's look at the text, Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Let's stand together in the honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected at the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they had said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, And of those of Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and we will change and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So we'll jump right in. The first point, the need for different roles. Again, look at verse 1 with me. Now, in the days 
when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected at the daily distribution. So again, what do we read? They were increasing in number, continually increasing in number. Like any group, it will eventually reach a size when you can't keep the problems out. Why does that happen? Well, because people. That's why they happen. They'll just start happening because people are in there and people do bad things, right? We're, we're among them and we do those things as well. The early church has already experienced some of those inner problems that we saw in our earlier chapter. And here's just another example of that. What's the problem that's happening here in Acts 6? It's just discrimination. Blatant. The Hellenists that were being discriminated against were Greek-speaking Jews, probably not native-born Jews, but converts who had since then even converted to Christianity. Greek then, at that point in time in history, was very much like English is today. It was spoken over much of the known world. Thanks to the conquest of Alexander uh, several hundred years previous, there was this whole time called Hellenism, which is when the whole world basically became Greek. And um, it really brought in a lot of the reason why everyone was speaking Greek and writing in Greek in those times. It was a good time. But there were people who were Jewish and Jewish only, and then there were these who were converts, and there was this problem. All throughout Scripture is the mandate to take care of widows and orphans because they are truly helpless, especially in those days. They had no possessions, no money, and no way to get either one of those things. They were completely helpless. So as the church had been doing, distributing to all who had need, as we've read several times, the widows were going to get taken care of through this process, naturally. And so apparently, some of the widows were being neglected because they were Greek-speaking. I think it does deserve a quick note here. Discrimination was a problem then, as it is now. Why? Because of sin, we have hearts that take something very small, like our country of origin or maybe the color of our skin, and we build our own righteousness on those things because we're sinful people. For the Jews saying, I'm a natural, I'm natural born Jewish, so that makes me better. Maybe today it's something like, I'm white, so that makes me better. Notice the leadership sees this as a problem. It's also not a good thing today. It's still a problem. We stand against it. So why did this happen? Functionally, besides sin, what's going on? Why did anyone notice this? Who allowed it to get to the point that there needed to be a complaint? We'll look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Well, what's going on here? Did the disciples all of a sudden see themselves as so lofty that they could not serve tables any longer? No. They're addressing the problem because they were doing this and preaching the word and doing those things. The duties of all of this combined, preaching and teaching, serving tables, distributing goods, all these problems began to seep through the cracks. They were spread too thin. It's not, he's not saying, again, we're too good to serve tables. We need to find people who are lesser than we are to do that. There's two needs here. 
Think of the needs that are in this early church. What are the, what are the apostles addressing? Well, there's a, there's a heart need here. There's a need that there are people in our, amongst us who are discriminating on the basis of race. What, what is the cure for that? The gospel. Preaching the gospel. And guess what still needs to be done? The tables still need to be served. These two things have to and need to be happening at the same time. So they picked out seven men who could serve. The Greek word here for serve is where we get our English word deacon. And so they divided the labor. They served the people's physical needs through serving of the tables, distributing of goods to everyone who had need, and serving the people's spiritual needs through the preaching of the word and prayer. This is something that we still do. We still follow this same formula that the apostles laid down today. Deacons in the church are men who are gifted in service and mercy ministries. Elders are more gifted toward discernment and leadership, with the ministers being also in that group of elders, being the, the preachers and the teachers. These are not stair-step roles in any way, meaning the deacons are not elders in training, as I've seen some churches mistakenly do. Deacons are men who are called to acts of mercy and service. It's, it's what they love to do. It's how the Lord has made them. This office is a lifelong calling. The office of elder, the same way. Those gifts of discernment and leadership and preaching and teaching. This is a calling for life. Neither one of them are light callings. It seems really plain, so why is there struggle with it in the church? Why do we struggle with these roles? And that brings me to the next point, the struggle with these roles. Notice, there isn't any rank of importance given by the apostles here. The, the, the apostles never state or never even give us the inkling of understanding. You men go serve tables while we do the important things. Where do we, where do we get that idea? When we read this and we read, you all serve tables and we're going to devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. We read that into it. The apostles never state one is more important than the other. It makes me kind of think of this demarcation between squires and knights. As we often see the squire as the kid who is polishing armor, serving the menial tasks while the knight is out slaying dragons and saving the princess. They don't exist without each other. They need one another. The knight cannot do his work without the squire and vice versa. There's no hierarchy there. There wasn't, obviously, in the feudal system, but you get what I'm saying. What are the qualifications of these men that were appointed in Acts? They were men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. They weren't just anybody's. It wasn't a, hey, raise your hand if you want to be table servers from here on out. We'll, we'll go ahead and lay our hands on you and we'll make it official. It wasn't anything like that. I mean, there were children there. They could have served tables, right? If it's just anybody, right? But it look, they look, they took, it took gifted men who were able to discern problems like the one that were arising. If you have men that are in place who can say, look, there's a problem happening here that we, that is not right. 
this discrimination that's occurring needs to be addressed. And they could take that problem to the elders. Also, notice when they announced this ruling, the people were happy about it. They found seven people. It wasn't like the people were grumbling that there was some sort of improper division of the labor. But everyone was happy. The apostles laid their hands on them. And they, and they appointed them to the office. It wasn't, it wasn't at all this, there wasn't any kind of dissension at all. Many of the men's deeds are last recorded here. This is their, their names that are here. This is the last time that we see them. Paul mentions a couple of them in his letters. But for their, there are some, like Stephen and Philip, whose stories are some of the most important stories in the book of Acts. These deacons. And what is the continued result? As of the, what is the result of these men being appointed to this office? Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Don't miss that there. The priests were devoted to the sacrificial system. To the law above grace. They, they, they made that distinction where the scriptures don't. And these priests all of a sudden are seeing Jesus. So why then do we, when we read this, struggle with it? Well, as believers, we have this struggle constantly that we talk about every week because it needs to be addressed every week because we forget. We struggle. We want to earn our own righteousness to be the best, to be seen as the best. And so when we hear the word serve, we oftentimes do not quite equate that with the best. Why? Because in our minds, serve means low. And we're not low. We're better than that. And I want us to see that this goes beyond just the roles in the church here in Acts chapter 6. This is important. Because again, we're reading into this that those who were serving tables are or lower than those who were doing the ministry and the word and prayer. We're reading that into the text. But think about these other things that go through that in our lives. Anytime we, we see something that we want that we don't have, we automatically think of what we have is less and that is more. That's the sin of covetousness. And think of the roles in the home. What did God tell Adam and Eve in Genesis 3? Well, we know... How it should be, right, as we're told throughout Scripture. Paul says in Ephesians, the wife submit to the husband. The husband should love his wife like Christ loved the church. These are roles that are set up. But what, what happens? We want to flip these roles, right? Again, God said it would happen in Genesis 3. The wife wants to rule the home, and the husband lets her. The husband doesn't want to. He wants to be a bum instead. We flip these roles. What about the children? Rather than obey, they want to be the boss of their parents. Children obey your parents and the Lord. No, parents should obey the children because they desire that role rather than the one that the Lord has given them for this time in their lives. What about if we've been given a set of gifts, a set of desires from the Lord, but when we don't see that as good, we want something else. You know, I think of myself as a young minister in training, not wanting to go through the proper steps 
in order to be to receive training, but just wanting to kind of skip to the head of the line, like an immature brat. Very similar to that are we many times when we look at the gifts that the Lord has given us. Then we quickly need to consider the one who took on the lowest of low, but yet had the greatest position, our Lord Jesus. Consider Jesus, the Lord of all creation, the Son of God, yet we read in John 13 that he washed his disciples' feet. Did he see serving as something as menial, as something less than his station? He saw it as his duty to serve his people. Ultimately, what did he do? He considered himself the least in order that we might receive the greatest gift, eternal life. He had the greatest position, yet he took the position on the cross so that we might be saved from the mess that we created. We deserve the death that he received, but yet, even while we were his enemies, he served us. Even while we were like Adam and Eve in the garden, Wanting the best, actually wanting God's throne, because we really think we're no better than he does. Anytime we sin, that's exactly what's going on, brothers and sisters. We think that we know better than the Lord of creation. But even while we were doing that actively, he said, you're mine. Therefore, I will offer my life for you. And we worry about things like rank and position and prestige. Ultimately, we should all be servants. And hear this, you can't lead. You can't lead unless you can serve. Show me someone who aspires to leadership without first serving, and I'll show you a future tyrant. Even if they're just a tyrant of a local church. As we grow and develop as a church, there will be times when we'll have to think about the roles that each of us play in the church, even now. And there, and where they line us up with the, and where they line up with the Lord are the gifts that the Lord has given us. Some of us are meant for leadership. And they'll show. And that will show as we serve other people. Some of us are meant for serving. And they'll lead others in that servant ministry and those ministries of mercy. Absolutely. We shouldn't see these roles as ranks in the church, but these two roles that are serving the church toward the common goal of bringing glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the last point, an example of faithful service. One of these deacons, Stephen, is immediately highlighted in this book, by Luke. He's named as one of the men who was called out as one of the seven deacons. And then immediately we read this story concerning him. Look at verse 8 with me. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Who's the last one we heard about doing signs and wonders? Peter, the apostle. What is Stephen out there doing? Signs and wonders. Teaching. Preaching the gospel. Again, showing us that because he was called to this ministry of service, he hasn't been called to stop talking about Jesus in any way. He's not being kept from doing that in any way. 
And notice what's going on here. This group of people, and the scriptures name several of this group. They stood up and they disputed with Stephen. Verse 10, I love it. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. This group stood up to dispute his claims that he was making about Christ, but they could not do it because Stephen, a mere servant, a mere deacon, was so wise and so knowledgeable that they could not even stand up to him. First of all, this shows us that you do not need a seminary education to defend your faith. The role of defending one's faith is given to all believers. Stephen was obviously abundantly prepared. How was Stephen prepared? The church being this young, him being a young convert or an early convert just by the the fact the church isn't that old then. What was he doing to prepare himself for the ministry, this kind of ministry out in the streets dealing with these people? He sat under the apostles' teaching. He listened and he learned. He studied. He knew his faith. Therefore, he was able to talk about it even with those he disagreed with them. So, rather than deal with his argument, which dealing with Stephen's argument uh, correctly means that you call upon the name of the Lord and, you, and you're saved, you beg the forgiveness of the Lord. But rather than do that, rather than see Jesus as their Lord and still seeing themselves as their own Lord, they arrested Stephen under false pretense. They put words in his mouth concerning Moses, they said that he was blaspheming words against Moses and against God. Ironically, if you read the next chapter, Stephen will teach those elders about Moses and Jesus Uh, again. A deacon will stand up and instruct the educated about their fundamental doctrinal errors that they have. We'll save that for chapter 7. Definitely worth uh, your reading ahead and studying. Chapter 7 is a, is a big book, and uh, Andy will be preaching on that next week. And so let me encourage you to study ahead and read ahead. It's my favorite chapter in, in the whole New Testament. So what should we take away from this? Did Stephen, did Stephen see his new position as this deacon, as a license not to teach in the name of Jesus? Did he see himself all of a sudden, well, I've been called to just serve tables, therefore I'm going to stop preaching and teaching? Obviously not. Did he see his position as less, therefore he went and sulked and complained? No, he was preaching the name of Jesus in the street and did so with wisdom that confused these supposedly educated people. Just because we aren't all called or even currently called to, to a particular role or the role that we think is the best or whatever that is, doesn't mean that we aren't charged with proclaiming the name of Christ. Stephen was called a man of good repute. A man filled with the Spirit. A man full of faith. Stephen was also a man who saw to the daily distribution of food to serving the widows, to serving the tables when the church met together. The widows and orphans. He did those both. He's a man that will preach one of the greatest sermons ever preached in a room full of people that would kill him for it. And yet he did it anyway. He served the Lord with gladness and did so with absolute conviction. It might be easy for us to look at someone like Stephen and say, well, he's just a special case. He indeed is that. 
But he was a man just serving like each one of us is called to do with the gifts that we have. What will we do with the calling and the gifting that we have, brothers and sisters? Will we use it for God's glory? Will we put those gifts away and simply long for the gifts of others? Will we patiently wait on the Lord's timing to use those gifts? Or will we desire to lead even when we're not ready? In conclusion, the church works and continues to work because each person is called and gifted according to the Holy Spirit's direct work in our lives. It didn't happen because those peoples, those people had some sort of internal ability by themselves, but because Jesus Christ died to raise them from being spiritually dead to being a new creation in him. And as a new creation, how did he create them? To serve him and his church. Will we take that gift and long for something better than the gift that God has given us? Or will we take it and serve him with gladness? Brothers and sisters, consider the gifts that you have. How would you or how would the Lord want you to use them to serve his church? He definitely 100% wants you to do that. And not just be, and to not use those gifts would be sinful. You should absolutely be serving the church. There are many things that we can be doing to serve his church and to see the kingdom of God grow. Pray for those who are serving. Pray that the Lord would more and more teach us how he has gifted us and how we might bring him glory. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we are thankful that we even have the privilege, one, to be a part of this, your people, the church, and two, we are thankful for the privilege of serving it. Lord, you have given each of us gifts that are well beyond our station. We were once your enemies, but now you call us friends. And you have given us gifts with which we might bring you glory. And so, Lord, we pray, whether those be gifts of service or leadership or whatever, that you would help us, enable us, show us that we might serve your church, that we might bring you glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.